Perhaps not enough time has passed since Halloween for the concept of Saturday the 13th to have any spooky resonance. But the world outside our windows begins to look more bleak with each passing day and gust of wind. There are 38 days left until the solstice, when our part of the world begins to turn back to the light. Here's another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement to illuminate at least some recent information. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's show, a look at several upcoming developments in Albemarle County, including the second phase for Southwood and a three-story self-storage building in Crozet. More than 83% of adult Virginians are fully vaccinated. The Villager Vivana Community Advisory Committee debriefs after a rezoning vote that did not go the way members wanted. Greyhound has a new owner, and Virginia launches bus service from far southwest Virginia to the nation's capital. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, are you a patron of the James Madison Regional Library System who suffers from a plague of library fines? If so, for the next week, you can pay off your balance with a food donation that will go to Blue Ridge Area Food Bank. To participate in the Food for Fines program, bring a non-perishable item to the front desk and get a dollar off. Do note this does not apply to missing or damaged items. Patrons who are in better standing than me are also welcome to donate an item or many items. For more information, visit jmrl.org. On Friday, Governor Ralph Northam announced that 83% of the adult population in Virginia is now fully vaccinated. Also on Friday, the Virginia Department of Health reported the percent positivity dropped to 5.3% on a day when the seven-day average for new cases is 1,328. But there are hot spots emerging across the country. Vermont is experiencing its worst surge yet, with a record 595 cases on Thursday and 505 cases on Friday, according to the website VT Digger. Dr. Kosti Safri, director of hospital epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System, said colder parts of the country are beginning to see the increase. Just as we're entering the cold and flu season, um, we're um, you know um, also entering um, the the season where we may see increased transmission of, of COVID, um, just because um, we're, we're going into the winter months. Dr. Safri said COVID still represents a significant risk, and he recommended people continue to wear masks in indoor public spaces. Thanksgiving is less than two weeks away, and Dr. Safri emphasized caution. You know, one thing that I'd want to emphasize is that um, uh, that, that there are in the importance of, of boosters, um, particularly for people who um, are vulnerable. In the Blue Ridge Health District, 10% of children between 5 and 11 have been vaccinated during the first week that a reduced Pfizer dose has been available. The Virginia Supreme Court has rejected three Republican nominees to serve as special masters in the next phase of the redistricting process. In October, a 16-member redistricting commission failed to reach consensus on maps for legislative districts for both the General Assembly and the U.S. House of Representatives. Senate Democratic leader Richard Saslaw petitioned the court to disqualify the three Republican nominees, claiming conflicts of interest due to their previous work on creating maps. The Virginia Supreme Court agreed. Here's from a November 12th letter from Chief Justice Donald Lemons. 
The court intends to appoint special masters who are qualified and do not have a conflict of interest. Although the special master candidates are to be nominated by legislative leaders of a particular party, the nominees will serve as officers of the court in a quasi-judicial capacity. Justice Lemons wrote that nominees must not consult with political parties once they have been appointed. One of the Republican nominees, Thomas M. Bryan, had been hired by the Republican Party of Virginia as a consultant on using 2020 U.S. Census data for redistricting. That information had not been disclosed in the nominating materials. Republicans have until Monday at 5 p.m. to submit three new names, and Democrats are being asked to submit one more name due to a potential issue with one of their nominees. For more information, visit the Supreme Court's website. The national bus company Greyhound has been purchased by a German firm called Flix Mobility. They operate a service called Flixbus, which operates in 36 countries, in addition to within the United States. Greyhound serves 2,400 stops across the country, including Charlottesville, and has a ridership of 16 million passengers. Here's an item from Flix Mobility's October 21st press release. Buses as a sustainable and accessible alternative are now more important than ever. Fluctuations in the cost of gas, the recent escalation of car prices, and climate change concerns have increased the interest of many consumers in finding alternatives to individual car usage. For $46 million cash and $32 million in future payments, Flix Mobility will now own the Greyhound name and its bus fleet, but they will not own any real estate or stops. Flixbus has been running buses in the U.S. since 2018. Meanwhile, on Monday, the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation will launch the Highland Rhythm Service between Bristol and Washington, D.C. This is the fourth Virginia Breeze intrastate route to be funded by the state agency, which will be operated by Megabus. A ceremony was held this morning at the Birthplace of Country Music in Bristol. You can read more about that in an article in the Bristol Herald Courier. Time now to take at some recent land use applications in Albemarle County. First, a site development plan has been submitted for a new Chipotle restaurant to be located in Hollymead Town Center. Before the pandemic, there would be site plan review meetings for the public to comment on these items, but those have not yet been held. However, Albemarle officials are looking to begin to resume that public process. Here's a notice from the application. These projects are by right, which means that if the proposed plans meet the minimum requirements of the county's zoning, site plan, or subdivision ordinances, they must be approved. A TJI Friday's restaurant used to operate on the site, and the existing building will be replaced, and a drive through window will be installed in the new building. Another site plan has been filed for a three-story self-storage facility at the intersection of Brownsville Road, Route 240, and Rockfish Gap Turnpike, US 250. The zoning on the site is Highway Commercial, and a gas station used to operate on the site. That building and a couple of others on the property will be removed to make way for the structure. In October, Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville filed the second phase of their rezoning for the redevelopment of the Southwood Mobile Home Park. The rezoning would amend the first phase to add 93.32 acres from R2 to the Neighborhood Model District zoning. Here's a section from the narrative. 
Phase two is planned within the project's existing mobile home park, where development will occur in phases so as to limit the impact to the existing residents. The resident planners who designed and wrote the code of development for phase one has provided input in this next phase that the form, density, and uses established with phase one should continue into phase two. This phase of redevelopment would include up to 1,000 housing units in a mix of single-family houses, duplexes, townhomes, and apartment buildings. There would also be another 60,000 square feet of non-residential space. There's a link to the code of development in the newsletter. Several blocks in phase one are under construction. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time now for another subscriber-supported public service announcement. Are you using too many chemicals in your yard and garden? Would you like to learn more about alternatives? The Piedmont Master Gardeners will hold a free online information session on the topic Monday, November 15th at 3 p.m. Participants will learn how to keep their landscapes safe and healthy using integrated pest management. The Center at Belvedere will host the session, which carries the name, Why and How to Reduce Chemical Use in Your Yard and Garden. You can learn more and register at thecenterseville.org. One more segment today, and it takes up a recurring theme, growth in the area, and where it should go, and how much of it. Albemarle County staff have begun work on the update of the comprehensive plan, with a public kickoff expected sometime in January. A major aspect of the current plan is a growth management policy, which designates specific areas for density. This plan was last updated in 2015, and since then, supervisors have adopted several other policies, such as the Housing Albemarle Plan. Here's a section from Objective 1 of the plan, which was adopted by supervisors in July. To accommodate this growth, the county will need to add approximately 11,750 new units to our housing stock over the next 20 years. The county must support the development of an additional 2,719 units to fully accommodate projected household growth through 2040. One of the growth areas is the village of Rivanna, and their community advisory committee met on November 8th. Most of its members are not happy with the Board of Supervisors' 4-2 vote in October for a rezoning from rural area to R1 for an 80-unit single-family neighborhood called Breezy Hill. Dennis Odenoff is the group's chair. We all know how it turned out, and we may be disappointed, but what are lessons learned? Are there any lessons learned from this? Members of the group thanked Supervisor Donna Price for her vote against the rezoning. It's in her district, the Scottsville District. Price was joined by Supervisor Ann Malik of the Whitehall District. Southern Development had initially requested 200 units, but scaled that number back due to community opposition. The Village of Rivanna Master Plan designated the land as Neighborhood Density Residential, and a map describes that as up to three dwelling units per acre. Members of the CAC maintained that the plan only allows one dwelling unit per acre. Neil Means said pressure from the group helped get the number 280, but he does not have a positive view of Southern development. But it it just goes to show you that the developers really don't care about the master plan at all. I mean, and the stuff, the arguments they made 
much later about, oh, it should be gross acre, you know, one unit per gross acre, not net, you know, it's just, just an argument. It's like they're going to try to get as much as they can anytime they want. Gross density is a simple calculation of the number of units divided by the size of the land. Net density subtracts from the size of the land the square footage that would be used for infrastructure or open space. In the case of Breezy Hill, the gross density was one unit per acre, but the net density was 1.4 units per acre. That means that means the system is broken. I don't think the master plan, the county's master planning process, is functioning well. I think it's dysfunctional and it needs to be revisited. Ultimately, elected officials make their decisions based on interpretation of master plans. Odinoff said the current version of the plan was not clear enough to state the wishes of the community. We have no other language in the master plan that says one unit breaker. Now, we don't say that. The land use plans indicate one unit breaker. When you, in certain applications, when you take out the area that cannot be developed. But we don't say it in the verbiage. The master plan also states that no new developments should be approved until specific transportation projects are built on US-250. However, such a directive is not permissible under Virginia law. In Virginia, localities cannot specifically ask for infrastructure to be built in exchange for a rezoning, but developers can volunteer to pay for projects in something called a proffer. Here's CAC member Paula Paganakis. I thought it was a slap in the face. I took it as a slap in the face when the developer said, well, he can't provide any proffers because he won't get enough profit out of the project. And I don't, I don't know how much impact that had on the vote of the supervisors, but I've, I felt a bit insulted. In Charlottesville, Southern Development has agreed to contribute nearly $3 million up front for the creation of a sidewalk on Stribling Avenue. This is related to the 240 Stribling project, which would see about 170 units on 12 acres. If council approves that rezoning, Southern Development will be paid back through the incremental revenue generated. Supervisor Donna Price voted against the rezoning, but said the community pressure to reduce Breezy Hill's scope resulted in a more palatable project. Did we achieve everything? No. But we came out, I think, a whole lot better strategically than if it had been at 160 or 130. Price said she supported increased density in Crozet and voted for the 332-unit RST residences near Forest Lakes highly dense, but it's also right on a six-lane highway up there. So I've tried to maintain a consistency of, as you get to the periphery of development areas, it should be less developed. And as you move more towards the center, it should be more highly developed, more dense. An update on the Village of Rivanna master plan is not currently scheduled, according to county planner Tori Canalopoulos. It would need to be on the community development work program, and we do have the comprehensive plan update that just started. And so that will take up a pretty significant amount of resources while that project's going on. I'll have a report from the Crozet Community Advisory Committee in an upcoming edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. 
But we've come to the end of this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a somewhat regular look at what's happening in and around the area of Charlottesville. This is a production of Town Crier Productions, which is a company that I started in order to figure out how I can get paid to do this work all of the time. Now, this is a free service, but of course it is supported by you guys. There is not a lot of advertising in this. Those shout outs that you hear, those all come from Patreon supporters. So that's one way that you can subscribe. Um, if you go to the Patreon slash patreon.com slash Sean Tubbs, that will get you to that. Another thing you can do, of course, is to subscribe through Substack, either at $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. Uh, that will ensure that this program continues to exist well into the future. The thing about Substack is that the company Ting will match your first contribution. So that's something you can also do. There's a link in the newsletter to some special deals that Ting will get if you sign up through Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm Sean Tubbs. I'll be back tomorrow with the Week Ahead newsletter. This is a non-podcast version. It takes a look at what's coming up, followed by another edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, hopefully coming out Monday afternoon. Thanks all in for listening. Please send this on to somebody else if you think they would benefit. And why wouldn't they? There's jokes. There's information. There's me saying, stay safe. <laughs>